people, I'm Juba, a London-born, Essex-raised and Berlin-based DJ and welcome to the Assurance podcast. Last year, I released Assurance, the documentary that I made about the experiences of female DJs in Nigeria. After its release, I realised that there were so many other stories to explore and I wanted to continue the conversations that were started with the first documentary. In each episode, I'm going to be talking to inspiring women DJs in the global south and delving into their own personal journeys, their local music scenes and the impact of their social context on their careers and lives. This podcast is sponsored by Adidas and Zalando as part of their Share Her Power campaign, which is all about camaraderie over competition and women empowering women. How does waking up as bad sister look like? Do you just <laughs> go wake up with a pair of earphones on your head or something? <laughs> <laughs> that is so cool. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, it feels good. <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> I forgot what I was saying. When I woke up as bad sister in 2015, you know, <laughs> my life was never the same again. <laughs> <laughs> People, it's Juba again. And as always, this is the Assurance Podcast. So welcome, welcome. And today I'm joined by a bad sister all the way from Sao Paulo, Brazil. She's a producer and a DJ who's been slaying it since 2013 and has released tracks worldwide and mixes on radio stations like BBC Radio 1. And in 2017, Bad Sister formed the Banjida Collective, I hope I said that right, alongside Linda Cabrada, a collective that spotlights women from the peripheries and hosts parties where only women touch the decks. That's, that's what I like that. I like the side of that. <laughs> Bad Sister won the award for the best music producer at the first ever Women's Music Awards in Brazil. And she's just incredible as an artist. I'm a massive fan. She represents music from the global ghetto, as she calls it, like Baile Funk and Chicago House, and has played at some of the best festivals and parties around the globe. And I'm very, very honoured to have her here talking to little old me today. How are you, Bad Sister? Hello, everyone. I'm good. <laughs> Hi, world. Just woke up. You just woke <laughs> up? I love that, mate. <laughs> I um I wish I could say that, but I always wake up at eight o'clock. I know it doesn't matter when I sleep. I always wake up at eight in the morning. Why? I think it's my body clock. I don't know. I feel like if I sleep past eight o'clock, I get really frustrated with myself. Oh, okay. Anyway, how are you doing, man? Apart from waking up just now, how's life? What's going on? I'm still working on my stuff, working with some other artists. The last week I had, I was invited by a, a big, big Brazilian artist called Peachy. You know, she was my reference since I was a kid. She's she's like, she sings rock. She used to play guitar. And I was really small, like, I don't know, 10, 11 years old. And I used to saw her on TV and listen to her on the radio. And I was like, mm -hmm. really in love by the artist. Yeah, sure. And I don't know, like, she made me. <laughs> yeah, and she invited me to go to her studio, me and Shuki Dubai, to work on a track with her. And I was like, really? Ah! <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. Imagine like your lifetime, your childhood idol is messaging you, being like, hey, can you work on a track? Yes, oh my God. you know. I would cry. I would definitely cry. I would cry of this excitement and just like, oh my God, what the hell? It's like no pressure, but yes. it's your childhood idol. Yes, yes. And I was like so shocked that I couldn't even look at her, you know? Oh my God. <laughs> you on a rock track? That's going to be interesting. It is like electronic, but with guitars, you know? Nice. <laughs> I'm looking forward to hearing that. That must be a real affirmation of your craft that someone that you respect so much wants to work with you. So with all of the DJs I'm talking to in this podcast series, I want to understand how they got to where they are and understand your first steps into DJing. So tell us, bad sister, when did you first touch a pair of decks? I think I first touched a pair of decks when I was at... I got this scholarship to study uh, music producing, mm -hmm. you know, electronic music producing. And I think it was the first time that I touched a pair of DJs that was the CDJ 
200, I think. Oh, wow. That's an old school, no? Uh-huh. Like, <laughs> I had to burn CDs, you know, like, to play. Yeah. Learning on that really old school equipment, I think it helps you a lot when you're as yes. a DJ. Because yes. I remember when I first started, I can't quite remember the model, but I know the model was really, really old school. There was like a really small display. You couldn't see anything. And it made me really have to learn by ear. Yeah. Whereas I feel like now, because a lot of the equipment is so much more high tech and there's such so many big displays and you can see the waveform yeah. so clearly. It yeah, makes it a lot easier. It's more visual, huh? Yeah. Definitely. And so talk us through your first ever DJ set as well. I'm interested to hear that. Yeah, it was this first time that I played Tribal House. <laughs> and I had this, <laughs> I had this list with all the music, you <laughs> yeah, know, yeah. because I was really, you know, I was learning something. So I was not confident, you know, I have a sense of rhythm of melodies, of harmony. I know these kind of things because I used to play I still play instruments, so I have this musical background before sure. teaching. But I was learning to you know to play at a equipment, so I had to learn like the functions, the buttons, everything, how to like the pitch, the percentage of the pitch, you know, this mm-hmm. kind of thing. So I had this list with with my track list. <laughs> And I used to write the BPM <laughs> and also the percentage of the pitch that I had to, to put, like, you know, oh put the same page. Yeah, I was, like, really... I wasn't feeling confident. I used to shake a lot. Jesus oh. Christ. <laughs> I was holding the paper, like, shaking a lot. You know? So you'd have your piece of paper next to you as you were DJing? Yes. I like that. That's, to me, that's kind of impressive. It's like proper tech geek. Like you really were working out the mathematical equations of the pitch and stuff yes. like that. <laughs> no way. And how did your yes. first gig go down? Was was it good though in the end? Well, yeah, it, it was nice. Like it was my first time, so I had a lot of people like cheering up for, for me, you know. Like mm-hmm. I think like the gig that happened after this one, mm-hmm. I was I was playing more like dance hall, I was playing more trap. You know, like I was playing more bass music, so I was more confident because I was playing something that I was like really into it. Mm. Because the guy that taught me how to play the CDJs, he was like a gay guy that used to go to this kind of parties, you know. So Mm -hmm. he taught me how to play that with that kind of music. So is that why you were playing Tribal House? Because the man who played. Oh, so it wasn't actually your, your style anyway? No, like. I like Tribal House, but like one track or two, but not the whole set, you know, like <laughs> I was discovering this this world. I was from the acoustic guitar world. I was like diving into something new. Mm. This this DJ and producing on, on a computer, you know, playing on a equipment. I didn't know nothing about that before I started to before I, I gained this this scholarship, I didn't know nothing about it. You know, I, I, I knew how to sing, I knew how to play guitar, and that was it. That's really funny because me knowing you as Bad Sister, the DJ and producer, I wouldn't imagine you with a guitar and singing. I always see you in a more like electronic set. So that's that's quite cool, actually. Okay, well, I guess your first set was not too horrible then, which is good because I hear no, a lot of it, it stories. Was, it was cool. It was nice. That's cool. It's inspiring to hear DJs having great sets for their first ones because it was the opposite for me. <laughs> Let's talk to me about Brazil, because obviously you are from Brazil, you're in Sao Paulo. I want to get to understand what's going on over there. Last time I heard, you know, you guys are still trying to impeach Bolsonaro. He's not following COVID rules. He's burning down the Amazon. <laughs> like, what's, what's going on right now? Yes, it's really messed up. Everything's getting really expensive. Like, if, if you go to a market to buy food, mm. the the money that you used to like to buy food for the whole month, now you're buying like for two weeks, the food not staying in the country. So we are paying a lot more because they they are selling everything to other countries. And we're paying this price. The country right now, it's worse than it should be. You know, mm. <laughs> like 
And it, in this pandemic situation, he's like giving a, a huge fuck for everyone. Like we have more than 200,000 people there. I could run away. I could really? run away. I could go to Berlin or whatever, you know, to Lisbon. I don't work so much in other countries, you know. I really love Brazil. That's why I'm Aww. still here. But right now it's like, it's really complicated because we're just surviving. We're not living. Yeah, I think people right now are not so happy. Like this this weekend should be the carnival. <gasps> oh no. We don't oh, have no. carnival. So it's going to be a sad, sad year. Oh, no. <laughs> I think like car- carnival would be hard anyway because of coronavirus but also I can imagine with the whole Bolsonaro situation with inflation and things getting harder yes. it's like everyone's just beat up yes oh man that's also that's side thing. note carnival oh my god I that was honestly probably the best time of my life when I was in Brazil for carnivals like what a shame it's not happening where you now. were I was, so when I came to Brazil the last time, it was 2013. My God, that's such a long time ago. That's like nearly 10 <laughs> years. Oh my God. Um, so yeah, nearly 10 years ago. And um, I, I started off in Salvador da Bahia. I was in Recife, Olinda. I came to Sao Paulo. No, I didn't come to Sao Paulo. I never came to Sao Paulo. I went to Rio de Janeiro. And I always say I was in Brazil for like just over, it was like six weeks. And I basically danced the whole time I was there. Just danced. <laughs> I danced up and down the country. It was ridiculous. But well, mm. I don't know if this is going to happen here in Sao Paulo. The yeah. next year, maybe. You know, Less, who knows? Because I, I feel like we were hoping that this year things would be better. But it's almost looking like next year we have to wait for everything to come back. Which is a uh, big shame. Oh, I know. It's, it's, it's a massive shame. So how has the current situation in Brazil right now impacted the creative scenes, the music scenes for people like yourself? Yeah, I think before we were doing like a lot, especially here in Sao Paulo, we were doing a lot of parties in the street. That was like a, a, a way of making more money. This was really working. It was really cool also to have this kind of parties and events going on on the streets because you know it's about future too you know like mm. you have to put money on the <laughs> on the future too you know like for me as a teenager here in sao paulo like when i when i had like 16 17 uh, i used to go like to a lot of parties in the streets a lot of sound systems that i used to play like just dance hall and Mm-hmm. The, and this kind of thing and it helped me the woman that I knew that was, is a dance hall singer I knew at, at a party in the streets and she was the one that opened a lot of doors for me in the music scene here in Sao Paulo so if it was not for that party in the street I would never get to know her and she would never like open the doors for me and maybe we wouldn't be talking right now you know? Oh no! That, that's what I'm talking about. I was nobody before. I know Lady Dye. That's her name. Mm. I used to upload the subtracts on SoundCloud, and that was it. Like I had mm. no gig. I didn't have money to go to the parties. You know, like so. I, I just went to the parties in the street because it was for free. Yeah, I remember when I actually when I came to Brazil, and I did a bit of couch surfing. Like 2013 was like. Really yeah. good year. A yeah. lot of parties in the street. When I stayed in Hesifa in Olinda, I, I say it wrong. I was staying with this girl, and she took me to so many of these parties in the streets. They were amazing. Like just people dancing in the streets in the evening. I loved it. I just danced throughout Brazil. I'm not even lying. <laughs> but is it since <laughs> Bolsonaro that this has sort of um, not been happening as much? It was like Donald Trump. For you to do like a party in the street, you had to mm. to get this document. It was a permission to do the party on the street. And then when he started to be a president and also Doria started to be the governor of the state of Sao Paulo, this kind of thing, just like they were just like saying no to everyone that was asking permission. And the police was really tough when they wanted like to shut down the party. So this started to happen and then a lot of funding that we had to do events or to do 
workshops, you know, to do this kind of things for the future is starting like to shut down also. The CDJs we have here, like the speakers we have here that they are in my house right now, but it's from the Bandida Collective. Mm-hmm. We buy with funding. We have like 40k reais to spend in, in equipment and to paint people to give lessons for free. You know, you could like learn how to DJ for free with us. And then when Doria started started to be the, the government and the governor and the Bolsonaro started to be the president, this kind of funding started to like shut down. They were like just cutting money from the future. Like <laughs> when they want to like do a coup in the country, they started from there, you know, like they cut the money from the future, from education. Like they had to learn other strategies to make it work. Yeah, sure. So we were looking like for companies that were interested in the project. This kind of situation of looking for companies to fund your project, sometimes it's really sad because this kind of action should be from the government, you know. Mm. And here in Sao Paulo, we have a lot of peace, especially here in the city of Sao Paulo. We have like a lot of peace, a lot of uh, future places that is funding by the government, you know, and they put activities to kids and to older people, you know. No. It's, it's like, it's not only about DJs. It's not yeah. only about parties. It's about, like, a whole community that, you know, like, it's it's about everyone. It's not just sure. about us. Yeah, it goes beyond that. And these cultural things are really important for the community, for helping the community grow, for helping the community learn. And when the government gets rid of them, it's almost like they do it on purpose. They know what they're doing. They do, they do it on yeah. purpose. Yeah. Yeah. They know what they're doing. They know what they're doing. This is the point. What is it like for women in the Sao Paulo scene, in general, generally speaking? Because you're quite proactive in uplifting women in your scene. You have the Bandida Collective, which I spoke about, where you provide workshops for women. Only women can DJ on the decks. I know also you do a lot of work within the LGBTQ community as well. So tell us about what you've been doing in Sao Paulo. Yeah, I think like when I started to be bad sister, like in 2015. <laughs> when I yeah. became bad sister, I love that. When, I, like became, you... when I woke <laughs> up and I was bad sister. <laughs> How does waking up as bad sister look like? Do you just <laughs> wake up with a pair of earphones on your head or something? <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so cold. <laughs> oh, yeah, it will do. <laughs> Uh, so <laughs> I forgot what I was saying. When I woke up as bad sister in 2015, you know, <laughs> my life was never the same again. <laughs> I I really forgot what. No, okay, so, no, no, I, no, no, I remember when I started to to get known by more people. Like in 2015, 2016, there were not so many girls on the scene that I that I used to play like the bass music. Scene. Mm-hmm. But when I started to play at these parties, sometimes they used to do this only women special edition, you know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I used to be the headliner of the party. Yeah. But it was not comfortable for me. It was sure. good because it was like a chance to the public to know all the girls from the city, not only me. But like the idea was awful, you know, like only women special edition. All it's cheesy. Yeah, you know, it was just guys and men, 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 men. And they used to do like one party for a year, you know, like with just one. It's like Black History Month. <laughs> one month in a yeah. year you talk about Black History yeah. and then the rest of the year is not everything else. Yeah. But when I started to get known by like more people and I think it was good because a lot of girls saw me and they saw the opportunity of, that they could do this too. They could be DJs too. They could produce it too. A lot of parties that I went to play, I had this huge wall of just girls in front of me. Especially here in Brazil, like, it was really nice to see this. They were going there to see me and to get inspired too. Like, I I did a lot of times too with other people, you know? Sure. 2016, we started Bandida Collective. With some other girls like Black Edge, with Evie Hive, with Chess, that is a girl that worked with me as my manager too. 
And we started to get closer with the collective, you know, and to work together, to work on the projects, and to work mm -hmm. to do the workshops for free. People that used to do things here in Sao Paulo were, like, getting to know me. And I used to, like, use my network to involve some other girls, too. So mm. I did that with a festival that they called me to play in the between of two big artists. Brazilian artist and was like okay I can play but I think it would be nice if, if we do like a bandida presentation no, a bandida performance not just me like and I, I, I didn't play that day I just I was just with the microphone like yeah let's go <laughs> <laughs> this was really nice because after that we started to like close some gigs Uh, in the name of the collective and we used to like put two girls of the collective and two more girls that we like that is not from our cast but it's DJs that we like and we kind of like to you know invite some other girls to play sure. with us too and pay them for this this is a <laughs> I really don't feel comfortable of inviting people to work and not paying them so, of course yeah man people need know, to get paid like People need to yeah. survive. You need to, and also they're doing a job. So give them the money unless they ask for a favor. But even then, if you can. Yeah. And then we started like to negotiate the fee, the name of the collective and pay the girls they are playing. Like the, everyone is like uh, getting the same money. This was really cool too, because you can share the money, you know? you know. I was using my network to make all the girls make money too it's not good if i go there alone by myself and enjoy just me just me alone enjoying making money and being famous i don't know you know like being a producer of great albums i i don't want this kind of thing just for me and i think that's why i started like to share opportunities and to share fees sometimes a party invited me to to play and i i was like busy because I had to I don't know travel or whatever and I always like put some other girls to to play mm -hmm. in my place I think this is the main thing you know like I, I cannot do this alone I, sure. I can I can be in these places alone mm -hmm. and I also think especially when you come from a position in society where it feels like things may have been harder for you Sometimes people think that there's only enough opportunities for one person, but actually there's so many opportunities and you can share yeah, them and uh -huh. you won't, you won't miss out by putting someone else on because then maybe there should be three sets instead of just one, you know, it's not uh -huh. going to hurt you. And it's also just good to help other people because you know what you had to go through to get to that place. So why not bring other people in? And a in? lot of people helped me, like when exactly. I was, when I was nothing. A lot yeah, of people definitely. No, I like that as well, like replicating the help that you got because you didn't do it by yourself. And actually, in the name of help, I love this segue. This podcast is sponsored by Adidas and Zalando as part of their Share Her Power campaign, encouraging camaraderie over competition amidst women. It's all about women uplifting women. What advice would you give what insights to women or other people in your region who want to get into DJing and producing? My advice is you have to be a nerd, you know. Sometimes you have to like turn off the Twitter and turn off your Instagram. Yeah. And you know, like just study. Sometimes okay. I think it's I think it's a, it's about that too. But I think you have to like Connect with people because sometimes you can know something that I don't know and you can tell me. And sometimes I can know something and that you don't know and I can also tell you. You, know, you have to like what you're doing and be patient. Sometimes things cannot happen like so fast. You know, sometimes you just have like to be patient with you. Mm. I think this is the thing also. So I, I feel like what you're saying to me sounds like almost be in it for the right reasons. So it's not always going to be sexy. It's also not going to happen quickly necessarily. And you actually will have to take time to perfect your craft and work through 
the industry that you want to be in. So if you yeah. kind of want to be in it for the Instagram or the Twitter or for the looks, no, it might this, not get you that far. A, this is a boomer explanation. <laughs> <laughs> a boomer explanation. <laughs> No, but uh, it, sometimes it's, uh, this is a, a, a device for me, too, because sometimes I'm on Twitter reading things and getting angry, and I just know, like, I just know some other stuff. Sometimes this yeah. kind of energy, I'm, I'm talking about Definitely. the energy, you know. Sometimes the energy is not going to help you. Definitely. What you want to do, you know. So sometimes you just have to concentrate your energy on something else. I remember when I first started DJing and I used to spend a lot of time on Instagram and Twitter, just like looking at people who I thought were doing things that I guess I wanted to do. When I thought it got to the point where I was no longer looking at them for inspiration and I was just watching them too much. I just, I just blocked people, <laughs> not even yeah. in a, not even in a mean way or in a spiteful way, but just because I needed to be conscious of what kind of energy I was putting out there and how it was impacting my own personal focus. Because if I'm spending uh-huh. all day looking at another DJ on Instagram, not even aware of what's going on behind closed doors, but just comparing. It's not really that healthy, I personally yeah, think. Yeah, yeah, it's not healthy. But yeah. I, I also say, like, if you have an opportunity of doing something, you have to go for it. I can say, like, this is the to the dual mm. phase, you know? Like, you have to be patient with yourself. But sometimes, for people like me, like what I told you, like, I didn't have friends that know someone that could present me. I, I, I didn't know anyone. You know, mm. so the opportunities that came from me, I was like, okay, let's go. Sometimes I didn't know how to do the things that people were like inviting me to do. You know, like give me, <laughs> give me one did. week, give me two weeks. I can do, give me, you know, like I can do it. When Linda Quebrada uh, invited me <laughs> to be the musical director of her album, she called me like, I wanted to be the musical director of my album, and I was like. Okay, let's do it. If you wanted to do this, I, I, I will do it with you. I'm going to be with you. I didn't know how to be a musical director of an album. I was like 23 years old. I was, yeah. I don't know. I was like still learning things, you know. I didn't know how like, to direct something, you know. Like, yeah. <laughs> but I said yes. No, I like yes. that, you know. It's kind of the idea of fake that you make it, like, you don't necessarily have to have perfected yourself to do it. Sometimes just go and do it and you also will learn. Yeah. Or pretend you know what you're doing and then like have Google next to you whilst you're talking to the person. Like, <laughs> how do I arrange a track? Or like, what is an EQ? <laughs> whilst pretending that you know what you're doing. I like that, actually. That is so good. And now you can say you can produce an album. So you were talking about getting paid and making sure that the DJs and producers around you got paid. So what advice do you have for that as well? Because I know that ownership of money can be quite tricky topics to discuss, you know, as DJs and producers. And a lot of women, a lot of people may not know how to go about making sure they, they're they able to profit from their work or they can get paid from it. So do you have any advice in terms of getting paid for work? All right. So I watch a lot of Pablo Escobar, Narco. I watch a lot of this kind of stuff. Juba, okay. don't Where's this going? I'm talking serious. I'm like, okay, so what? Should you like... <laughs> hold people at gunpoint like where are we going with this <laughs> no no it's not about the guns it's not about the guns sometimes I wish it was like fucking pay my money bitch <laughs> pay my fucking money I need to pay my rent I love that I wish yeah uh, no but where I'm going like it's the whole idea of the negotiation ask for what you want to ask you know like when I started to work with Mariana Mariana was always like, how much do you want to get paid? She asked me that question. Because before I was like, people was like, okay, I have 400 reais. Do you want it? And I was like, yes, of course I want it. (laughs) I didn't know (laughs) how to ask. Like, no, I don't want 400. I I want 1,000, you know? Yeah. I was always like thinking that I would never like get paid 1,000 to DJ. Mm. before I started to work with Mariana. And Mariana asked me, like, how much do you want to get paid for each gig that you do? And I was like, I want 1,000 million. And she was like, okay. So the next person that sent an email to us asking you for a gig is going to get this answer. Mm -hmm. And then people started to pay 1,000. 
Like, you're like, whoa, okay. Sometimes he's going to say, no, I don't want 400. I want 1,000. And the other people is going to say, the other person is going to say like, so this is a no. I'm canceling the mm-hmm. invite. This is tricky because this kind of thing can happen too. People can look for you <laughs> and ask you how much you cost and you say what you, how much you cost and they don't want to pay for that. Sometimes you're going to lose some money, but you're going to to earn a lot more. You'll lose some, but ultimately you'll make more in the end because what you do take on will pay you more. But it's quite funny because I negotiate for myself and it's interesting as well, like working in different cultures because different cultures have different negotiation behaviors. So when I was negotiating in England, I had a certain way I was doing it. And I remember when I moved to Germany, to Berlin, and I tried to negotiate. And I feel like here, negotiation isn't as much of a thing. Also, I'm from a Nigerian background. So in Nigeria, you know, someone will give you a price and then you're like, no, I want double that or I want you to pay, I want to pay half of that. It's like a very, negotiation is very normal in the culture. Whereas here, uh, quite a few times, someone would ask me if I wanted to do a gig and they give me their fee. And then I'd be like, okay, no, that's too low for me. This is my usual fee. And they'd be like, okay, sorry, Juba, no worries. We'll give it to someone else. And I'm like, wait, wait, come back. Like, can't we negotiate? <laughs> like, <laughs> and so and now whenever I get a gig, I'm like, hi, thanks for letting me know. You know, this sounds great. I'm really interested in playing and I'm open to play this. However, you know, what's the space for negotiation? Because I feel like I need them. I need you to know that I want this and I don't want you to give the money to someone else, but I want more money. But yeah, I think I had like two, three occasions when I moved here. And honestly, like I was like, oh yeah, it's a bit low. And the next thing I know, they're giving it to someone else. I'm like, hey, come back. Like that's still money. (laughs) So it can be. So are there any other collectives or groups in your region that are doing really cool things to help women in music? Anyone you want to shout out? All right, so I I have this friend that is called Lydia Alves that is a DJ from hip-hop and all from turntables and this kind mm-hmm. of thing. And she has this sort of body mixer that is a TPM. It's like PMT in English, mm-hmm. I think. Pre-menstrual tension, oh. PMT, right? Yeah, PMT. P- 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 oh, yeah, okay, something like that. I know what you mean. For us here in Brazil, it's TPM. Mm-hmm. And that's why it's like todas podem mixar TPM. Okay. It's like uh, all girls can mix. It's what it means. Okay, nice. All girls can mix. And I like then, that. Okay. Yeah, and then she started to do a lot of workshops to teach girls how to play on turntables. And she's really smart to like teach. She knows how to teach in a good way that the girls can really like be comfortable and learn. She has this not only about the vinyls and the turntables, it's about some mm-hmm. other things too. So she teaches like a lot of things, not only how to how was the name? <laughs> scratch. <laughs> scratch, yeah, yeah I know scratch. I don't Dude, know how to man. be a DJ anymore. <laughs> oh, honestly, it's like, what, what is that thing that you do? Scratch? Yeah. What are Scratch. those t- turntables? <laughs> you know, what's that, a filter? What's a filter? Uh, <laughs> Girl, I feel you. To close off, I like to do a bit more reminiscing about DJ careers, respectively. So, Bad Sister, can you share with us a moment, a no moment, when you doubted your decision to DJ? Also, um, nothing to do with coronavirus, okay? No more coronavirus reasons. <laughs> <laughs> so you've got to go back into All your right. um, memory box. All right. All right, that was this time that I was playing this song awful awful party they use i think they use that club to wash money because every time i play there they always pay me no matter what like if you have like 500 people if you have five people you're gonna get paid that's why i think they use that club to wash money and like everything was really expensive the drinks and everything but it was like a cool fee in the beginning. Mm-hmm. And they always paid me. Like, Monday, the money was there, you know? Yeah. <laughs> they was like, really sure. But that was this party that I played, where the owner, the owner of the party was like a guy that I used to know. There was me, him, 
and another girl, I think. The party was like awful. I think there was like 15 people at the party. And that club was really near from the financial area of Sao Paulo. So you have like a lot of guys in ties. Okay. This kind of woman, like business women. It was like really white people getting drunk and being stupid. You know? Oh no. Yeah, and there was this party. I was there, you know, like I was going to work, right? I was going to make some money. And I was mm-hmm. there waiting for my turn to play. And then I started to play. Like this friend of mine gone away to he left to I don't know to his house. And I stayed there like alone, being responsible, you know, for other things. There's this guy that came like really drunk, this white guy in a suit, really drunk. And he started like to be really stupid. He started like to dance and to put his his body weight in the table, you know. So I was playing and, and the CDJs oh were shaking, my, my laptop was shaking. Oh. And I was like, hey, could you please like stop doing that, please? Because everything's really educated because I'm a cool person. I'm a nice my girl. Mom taught me, yeah, my, my mom taught education, you know, how to be educated to the people. So I was like, hey, could you please like stop doing that because it's like everything is shaking here. It's like, it's messing me up. Please. And I asked this like three times and he was like really stupid, really stupid because I was talking to him and he was like, yeah, fuck you, blah, 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 blah. Oh, my God. And I was like, and I went to the tech guy, the audio tech guy, and I told him, like, if that guy do this again, I'm going to stop the music and I'm going to leave. Like, I'm going to leave. I'm going to my home. I don't need this. I know that my, my fee is going to be on my bank account and the money. Because so, you got washing the money. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so I, I don't, yeah, because you're washing the money, so I don't have to be here. And I, I told him that, and the guy did that, was stupid again. And I just like turned off my stuff. Oh my God. I like shut down the music, and I just told him, like, do whatever you want because I'm going to shut down the music. And he put like a jazz. <laughs> oh my God. I don't oh. know. <laughs> like, I was playing like this bass music, you know, like baton, whatever. And then I shut down and he started to play jazz. I love that. Like such a change. Uh-huh. Like, okay, man. You know, let's shut down this party. Like, this is awful. <sighs> we don't have to be here anymore. That sounds and like And then hell. the guy, yeah, the guy came to me and started to scream at me like, you're awful. You're the worst one. You're never going to get somewhere. And I was like, okay, bitch. Bye. And I left. I was like really asking myself why I left my house to do that. You know, like I could be in my home. I didn't have to be there. But that sounds so awful. Sometimes for the money, we go this kind of girl i feel you that sounds so awful like i hate sometimes people in clubs especially when they're drunk can be so horrible and make you feel so uncomfortable and it's just so unfair and you sit there and you're like as you said why am i here i remember um i had this gig in madrid actually and so you know it was quite nice like the hotel was nice blah blah i had a nice dinner and so i went to the club And the problem is, is the club, I think the music that they played was just very different to my music. And I remember even when they booked me, I was like, this feels very commercial and my music is not very commercial at all. So anyway, I got to the club and obviously it's full of like really drunk, really young people as well. Like the people look like they were 21 or something. And I'm like, okay, drunk 21 year old. (laughs) Yeah, literally, I'm already like, hmm. So I started playing. And then they didn't like my music and I didn't know what to do. And then at one point they kept on flashing their phones to me and showing me songs that they wanted me to play. And I didn't have the songs because there were these like commercial reggaeton songs or commercial hip hop songs. And so the only thing that I had was like Baile Funk or a few, uh-huh. a few like reggaeton remixes, but Afrobeat style. So I'm playing the music and as I'm playing, I look up and they were flashing their screens in my face and they've got unhappy faces on them. 
And so like basically showing them that show me that they hate my music. And so the whole time they were like flashing their phones at me with unhappy faces and just like looking at me like I was so crap. And the whole time I was like, think about the money, think about the money, think about, yes. think about the hotel room. <laughs> when I finished my set, they started clapping when I left. And then they started clapping me to leave. And it was just so like, Honestly, part of me was like, fuck you guys, man. I still got paid, whatever. But also, it's not just about getting paid. Like, I don't want to leave my house, leave the country I live in, and then, like, go and have a shit weekend in a club where people hate my music. Oh, my God. It was so horrible, but... Sometimes people can be so stupid. Like, I know people, drunk. Drunk people. Ugh. And it's like, you can't take it personally. Like, they didn't like my music. I can't do anything about that. But it still just makes you think, why did I leave my house to do this, you know? Yeah, to go to this kind of situation that makes you doubt yourself. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, you, you don't want to take it personally because you're like, okay, it's because they don't like the songs that I'm playing. Not necessarily that they think I'm a shit DJ, but ultimately, yeah, you go home and you feel meh. But hey, it was fine. I had a nice meal before that, so I felt good. <laughs> but yeah, that was so horrible. But I guess um, trying to, looking away from the bad experiences, give me a really good experience that you've had that made you really happy about your choice to become a DJ. I had a few ones. Can't mention Nigga Nigga, because that's already been spoken about. So, <laughs> <laughs> But Nigga Nigga was like the whole thing, the whole festival. It, it was not like, my gig was not so good. I don't remember that much about the music that I played and this kind okay. of thing. But it was like the the, the whole festival. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have one. I have one. Okay, go for it. It was the end of 2019. I went to play in Natal. That is a city that I used to live. It's where my mom is from. Mm-hmm. And it was really, I used to live there like 11 until 15 years ago. And then I came back to Sao Paulo. And then I come back in December of 2019 to play at one party. And it was, it was like, I was really happy. I was so happy. It was like, I was really happy that day. Because I have a lot of my cousins at the party. I got to the place and I was in front of the place waiting for my cousin. A girl came to me and said, are you bad sister? And uh, yes, I'm bad sister. And can I take a picture with you? I was so famous at the party. Oh, so you're like famous in your hometown. <laughs> yes. That's you know? sick, That's really like, cool. And when I played, like, everybody was on the dance floor. Like, everybody was on the dance floor. There was no one outside smoking cigarettes or the backstage everybody was on the dance floor and they screamed like crazy like my whole DJ set I think it was like one and a half hour or yes I think it was one and a half hour and they were screaming the whole time like the whole time they were that's insane and they got me like this this tiny bottle of cachaça that mm-hmm. they call Meladinha, that is cachaça with what is called mel. What is mel? Melon, melon. Me, me, uh, me, oh, honey, honey. Yeah. Honey. honey, yes. I should be a translator, man. <laughs> <laughs> it was uh, cachaça with honey. And I got really drunk. When I started playing, I was really drunk and really happy, and everybody was screaming. It was so, so cool. Yeah, I think it was like the most important gig. I have a lot of them, but this one was really special for me, personally. It sounds like a homecoming, you know? Like, you go back to your hometown, and you're, like, (laughs) famous in your hometown, and everyone's screaming your name. That must be amazing. I'm trying to think, because I'm from Essex, so (laughs) if I were to go back to my hometown in Essex and play in club and everyone would be shouting at me, that would be hilarious, because Essex is, like, really... It's hard to explain. Essex is a very, very chavvy... I don't know how to explain Chav. It's just like, I don't know. It wouldn't say ghetto, that's not the right term. It's hard to explain, but Essex is very particular. And if I were to go back there, the idea of being famous in my hometown. No, it's not ghetto. It's like, 
I say chavvy, but chav is such a British term. Um, Rudy, I don't know. Yeah, like a chav, it's like like tracksuits and hats, but also that you have the whole like really glamorous women with like re- orange faces and dead straight hair and really big um, eyelashes. I don't know. Yeah. Oh, do you not know? Fake tan. Oh my gosh. English people, especially the UK, like Essex girls or girls from like Geordie, that's like, I don't know, somewhere up north in England. Um, They're known for like their orange faces, like fake tan (laughs) and dead straight hair and loads of makeup and like really big eyebrows. It's really funny. Um, Yeah. Where is Geordie? I don't know where the Geordies are from. Geordie, Jersey Shore. I don't know. Anyway, yeah, but um, it would just be hilarious, the idea of being famous in my town because I'm just so (laughs) not a representation of my town. (laughs) All right, anyway, we're coming to the last bit. And for your homework, you can can look up what a chav is and tell me what you think about chavs. Last question, can you share with us, can you share with us a message that you've received, preferably from a woman that inspired you, that uplifted you? Um, Yeah, it's made you feel really good about, yourself you're DJing I think it's my musical mother Lady Night she always taught me I think she always taught me how to be more you know to be confident I I think I can use this word like okay to be confident to be confident and to be sure what I'm doing Mm. and I think Mariana my manager we are like huge huge friends too of life not just Mm. work and she always tell me that I'm really like creative, that I'm always surprising her. And I really love these two women because they taught me so many things, like not only about music, but about life, about negotiation, how to survive the music scene here in Brazil. It's because sometimes I was like so, so insecure about my, my work that they uplifted me I don't know if this word now. Uplifted. Yeah, no worries. So hard to say. <laughs> Re- up, uplift, uh, really? Go, okay, let's uplifted. say uplift. Uplifted, uplift. yeah. <laughs> uplifted. And they they uplifted me so much that right now I think I don't have fear anymore. The day that I was with the big rock artist, Mariana was so happy sending me message like so happy I'm so happy for you this is really important I'm so happy <laughs> like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. she wrote a lot of times and this Aww. is really cool because it's like I feel that I'm I'm doing my best it could be any girl I don't feel like I'm so special you know Juval. you it are could special be anyone because Thoughts and ideas are energy. And mm-hmm. this kind of energy are in your head and you don't do anything, nothing's going to happen, but this energy is going to somebody's head and that, mm-hmm. that somebody can do something. I think that I'm doing my best and I'm just a tool for the change. Okay. I think we're doing something to change. Like Nina Mariana with the negotiations and the things that about work and contracts and this kind of thing, we're always like, no, I want it like that, you know? We're always negotiating mm-hmm. what we want to. We're not just negotiating what the, the company wants or what the other people want. Mm-hmm. We're negotiating like, because we want to work with something that we are comfortable because we cannot do everything just about the money. That's why I, I felt so sad at the gig that I told you because I was there for the money, mm. just for the money. And I was like getting really stressed to make money. And I think that's not the point of doing this. Yeah. Because we're doing something different of what everyone is doing. Everyone got a job and work as a seller or whatever. And I, ne- I never wanted this kind of thing for me. If I want to do to work and have respect for myself, I have to know how to say no to. Mm-hmm. Because sometimes you say no to someone else and you are saying yes for yourself. Sure, sure. No, I and like I that. think like what I learned with Mariana was really, she taught me this. What I'm saying to you right now, she taught me this. Like, because I have a really a big difficulty of saying no. You know, like saying no to, to some other people. 
And she told me, like, Rafaela, sometimes you have to say no because you're saying yes to yourself, you know, because sometimes you say yes and you have to live with this stress for weeks in your head. And sometimes you say no, you you set your boundaries. That's it. You're doing that for you, like, you're taking care of yourself. I think I need to listen to that right now, to be honest. That's really good advice. If you say no, you're saying yes to yourself. I love that. That's uh, I'm going to have that on my T-shirt. Oh, my God. I want that on a T-shirt. <laughs> no, but honestly, yeah, that's really... Yeah, you can do this because... Yeah, because sometimes I used to think I had to say yes to everything. And I used to say yes to everything. I didn't know how to say no. To say, no, I don't want to. No, mm-hmm. I'm not interested. It's for me, it's really hard to say that. But I started to do that like the last month. And it's been really great because <laughs> now I can do just what I want to do. That sounds good. That should have been in our advice section. <laughs> But no, it's good, like, yeah. the idea of saying no, because actually it's better for you and it means that what you're doing, you'll actually enjoy what you're doing and you'll do it better. Yes. Definitely. That's it. You got it. I got it. Learned. I learned from you. No, I like that. I like that a lot. Ah, bad sister, ma'am. It's time to go. <laughs> <laughs> bad sister, it's been great talking to you. Thank you so much for your words, your advice, your insight and your anecdotes it's been really interesting talking to you thank you so much i really appreciate it and yeah have a great day have a great year life also i'm looking forward to hearing this track that you've made with your rock star like idol yes i can say too but you can share with anyone <laughs> <laughs> I, will, I will thanks bad sister okay thank you so much Juba. thank you everyone that is listening right now it's really cool to share the ideas to share some thoughts too because you know you have to have a context of the artist because a lot of my feelings are translated to my music too so it's really cool to share these mm-hmm. and discuss so, it yeah that's it thank you <laughs> so this has been the assurance podcast a follow-up to my documentary that explores the experiences of female DJs in Nigeria. Assurance, the documentary, focused on women in Lagos' music scene, but overall, Assurance is all about spotlighting voices away from the European and North American club scenes, which tend to dominate in conversations around gender and representation in music. And helping me share this empowering conversation has been Adidas and Zalando, who sponsored this podcast as part of their Share Her Power campaign.